Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. This is a special release and the last edition of our COVID-19 SARS-CoV-2 leadership series. That's right. We've been after Kevin Poik, who is the CEO, president and CEO of Signify of the Americas. For what? Two or three months, Greg? That's right, since we started the series. And we finally got him. And that's what you said at the beginning. It's a final one. And the reason it's final is because Kevin tells us what to do. It's time to turn the page to growth. That's what everybody needs to do. Turn the page. Folks, enjoy our chat with Kevin Poik in one second. But before you do, you have to remember that Signify is a longtime member of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors and a great supporter of this association through many years. And so we're very thankful to them. But if you're listening to this, remember, if you're a lighting distributor, this is your association, whether you like it or not. So it's time for you to join, get in on the conversation. But for right now, enjoy our time with Kevin Poik. Welcome to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast, Kevin Poik. Oh, thanks so much for having me, guys. Appreciate you being here. No problem. Say hi to Greg Eric. Greg, how are you? Good, Kevin. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I want to so dive into it a little bit here. So when did you uh, join Signify? Yeah, believe it or not, it's been seven months now. So it was uh, November of uh, 2019 and uh, it's been a quick, uh, quick half a year, and uh, a lot of things going on too. With uh, joining a new company and all the technology changes, but add to that the COVID uh, issues. Um, it's been it's been an interesting start. That's what I was going to ask: is what has changed in the last <laughs> those first three months you had, and then till the last three months? What how is it different for you? Yeah, you know, the first three months coming from uh, from Hubble, you know, and moving to the number one supplier of, uh, of lighting in the world and Signify, you know, really, really big differences in, in seeing the level of technology and R&D investment um, that's going on to Signify and, you know, much more global company, diverse company. Uh, even I did have time to, to make it to several of the Signify locations, including uh, Eindhoven, uh, where the research headquarters is. And um, you know what this company is doing in the marketplace is like no other. Uh, and when I think about you know the opportunity to develop and sell everything from conventional lamps to LED lamps to LED electronics uh, to luminaires to systems and services, uh, the integration of Cooper, um, you know, it's just it's like no other company that I've ever seen in the industry. And then, of course, um, you know, three months into it, um, I'm starting to to really get my feet under me. And, um, and here comes COVID. So the big change for us, obviously, has been um, we, we've managed through it quite well, honestly. Um, we've had some locations that have closed and managed through, and, and most of our offices in the Americas closed still. Um, but the ability to keep our manufacturing locations primarily open, um, serve our customers, and in this new world of working from home, uh, we've been quite successful with it. And I think a lot of companies out there have, have learned how to do this, but it's, it's worked better than I expected. It really has. Where do you guys have manufacturing facilities now? Yeah, so they're they're still spread uh, quite globally. Um, I'd say it's the largest ones are in China, um, a significant one in Poland, um, and still across uh, the U.S., uh, Pennsylvania, um, still in Mississippi, uh, Salina, Kansas. Uh, we're in Mexico as well, and whereas in Tijuana. Nice. And do you guys, is there any market that you signify is not in? I know you're in Europe. I know you're in America. Asia, no, we really Asia, we cover it globally. Um, yeah, we still everything. split the world into four market groups. Um, and so we've got the Americas, uh, Europe, um, the, the China, Asia market, and then and then the growth markets we would call in between with India and, 
Middle East. I assume all of them, they've all changed to some degree. Is there any that have changed more than others of these four? What's been interesting about it is to watch how uh, the virus has spread across the world. So it was China first. And uh, with China, you know, it was the first concern was, oh, my goodness, because we have, everybody has so much production there. We're going to have a massive supply issue. So how do we get around the supply issue? And, of course, uh, you know, us being Americans and thinking we're invincible, uh, we weren't recognizing the fact that it was coming our way. Um, so as it moved into Europe, you know, I think our potatoes um, went up. And then uh, we said, oh, my goodness, uh, this is going to really affect America. Now it's a big demand problem. And um, about halfway through the demand problem, we saw our manufacturing facilities start to be impacted uh, with some of the things in Mexico and turned back into a supply problem. Um, so we're in the middle of balancing through that right now. Um, I would say China has turned back on for the most part. Uh, Europe is starting. And I would say in America, you know, we're still finding our way. But again, I would say the manufacturing side of that has been uh, solid. The demand side has been uh, challenged to some degree, especially in areas of stock and flow and retrofit, um, you know, kind of that day-to-day contractor business is where we really see the challenge. Uh, many of the projects continued and, and um, our customers had projects that were in the, in the middle of process and they wanted to finish those up and get off. So the real question is, you know, what's the pipeline on the new projects and how will that flow? Jan, how many employees does Signify have? Do you know that number offhand? Yeah. I do. I do. It's a, it's a compelling number. Um, so it was 32,000 with the Cooper acquisition. We're, we're pushing 38,000 employees globally. 38,000. Do you have any indication of how, how many of those are office type employees versus manufacturing or is that not really a stat? Yeah, um, I would be I would be guessing at it if I told you, but generally in an industry like ours, uh, 25% is you know office salaried and 75% mm-hmm. is, um, is, is in the indirect and direct workforce. So you guys have a large number of office employees. Do you see that environment being impacted for the long term? I know it is right now, but in the long term, are you guys reevaluating office spaces, things like that? We are. Uh, and, and definitely areas where we have, um, you know, real estate contracts that are going to be coming due in the next year. Uh, you have to look really hard at that and decide what you want to do. I think it makes a lot of sense, you know, in areas where we have um, hundreds of people that you know, those offices are going to stay around. We might need, not need as much space and we may configure it a little bit differently. Uh, but in those areas where we maybe have 10 or 15 or 20 people, there may be a different way of working now that we've proven um, that, that, you know, this virtual world uh, can be quite effective. So I think the big offices will stay. The smaller offices uh, may become much more virtual. Yeah, I think that's a mixed was a mixed reaction to all of this, Kevin. I think from my perspective, so uh, I think I have 22 people that work for me. Nothing like 32,000. But um, so we, had a, we had a virtual office going for a while, so people got laid off and this sort of stuff. And, you know, there are certain types of people that um, work better, maybe, or even are more productive when they're, you know, in a virtual office or they're just left alone to do their jobs. And then there's other people that are way less productive when they're not in the office. And how, how, you know, you guys got a big pool of employees to work with there. Is your human resources department looking at this and going, you know, what kind of people do we need to have in an office? Are they segmented into a job type? Like, you know, for me, research and development, I'd want a lot of researchers 
physically close to one another, talking to one another on a regular basis. You know, salespeople, you need that hit the bell, high five kind of stuff going on. I don't know. Are you guys looking at what type of job or is it type of person or is it going to be optional? Have you guys come up with anything yet? Sort of firm? So I think there's a, there's a couple of things there. Um, I think it is very difficult to be virtual, you know, all the time and infinitely virtual. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a touch point that you need to have with your organization, really, no matter who you are. That's a, that's mm-hmm. a personal face to face touch point at some point. Um, and whether that needs to happen once a week or, or um, you know, every few weeks, I think it does depend on the type of job and the type of person. Certainly when you look at R&D and engineering um, and even some of the product management and project management roles, those are served much better. Um, being, being in a location on a regular basis, so, you know, a lot of our engineers, they need to still get to our offices in order to, to run the tests they need to run with their hands on the equipment. Um, and then there are other jobs, you know, some of the customer service jobs honestly work better virtually um, because, you know, we have customers that are all across the globe and uh, they work at all times of the day. And sometimes that's better um, served, um, you know, uh, if you're doing it from multiple locations and maybe not all in the same location, not one call center. But we, I think we, I think from a signify perspective, we would say culturally, we do feel like it's still very important to have that touch point, that, that personal face-to-face touch point on a regular basis. And that's the biggest thing we're thinking about is how do we ensure that still happens? We've been doing an, an awful lot of uh, what we call coffee corners. Uh, you know, a lot of me and my staff um, doing the calls and trying to create the touch points. We've even done concerts and we do happy hours. And some of the things you guys are probably doing virtually. Um, and so there, there's some social connection there too, but there's nothing like, um, you know, and it's, it's a different world now, but shaking hands and, and giving a hug and giving the high five, you know, I can tell you how many people have come to my door here recently and I, I can't shake their hand anymore. And it feels so strange. Um, and, uh, it's hard for me. It's hard to imagine that's the world we're going to be living in forever. That doesn't feel very natural. And uh, I think we're all still, still working our way through that. Yeah. I, I think there's, um, there's some second thoughts, if, you, if we had spoken two months ago, everyone would have been like, no, everything is going to change. It's going to be totally different. Everyone's going to work remote. No one's going to shake hands ever again. You know, there's not going to be any salespeople. Everybody's going to work in marketing and da 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 And I think people are starting to step back from this a little bit um, and say, you know what? Uh, this, maybe we need to, maybe this is a bit of an overreaction. Um, I would tell you, I agree with that. And I think what I'm seeing in China right now would tell you it's going to be more back to normal than not. They're, they're traveling again. They're visiting their customers again. They might be wearing a mask, but it's much more like it was before um, than what, what we would have thought, as you said, two months ago. I think the, maybe some of the where we all you know have 20 or 30 people going to a sales meeting, maybe it's only you know five or six. Some of those things may change. Uh, going out to dinner may change a little bit. But it'll be, I think, in, in many cases, especially on the sales side, more similar than today. Now, I think we got to break bread together. We got to break bread. I, I, that's me. I'm a break bread kind of guy. I'm a get on the golf course kind of guy and have a yeah, drink sure. kind of guy. So it's really tough for me. 
So the you know it's it, it's interesting the, how how this has changed and evolved over so quickly. Some of the things you brought up in your introduction with Greg, they sounded very familiar with us to us. We did a leadership series, um, I think it was in March and early April now, Greg, where we spoke to different CEOs and kind of felt it out. And everyone had this real short-term outlook, like, talk to my bean counters, this is what we're doing, capital spending's off, we're doing this, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and we're going to gear up, we're going to be strong, and this sort of stuff. And I think people are stepping back, and there's some carnage, there's some dead bodies out there already. There's, uh, there's people in the industry that we're going to leave behind um, that are not yep. going to make it through. Uh, are you guys looking to growth yet? Or are you still kind of in a stage where you don't know what's happening and it's still kind of a capital preservation? Or do you see a seam that maybe Signify can move towards in the, in the Americas? Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that. Again. We've had a lot of discussions about this and had a little bit of that kind of come to Jesus discussion here this past week with my team. And we decided as an organization, we're going to turn the page to growth. We're going to bet on Q3 and our ability and our sales team uh, to, to pull out of this. We see some seams and areas that we think um, are, are going to be good for us and that our technology serves us well in. And we're going to, we're going to start to make a bet on growth for this team. We've done some great work in this organization and before I ever got here on getting the cost right. Um, and, and I feel like they've done a, a tremendous job with that and, and we're there, we're there from, from that perspective and it is time to grow. And if this organization grows, we will be incredibly successful, um, all the way across the board from what we deliver to our, uh, shareholders and stakeholders to what we achieve to be, uh, in our strategic plan. But it's time, it's time to turn the page to growth and we're making that bet as we move into Q3. And I, and one of those areas that you touched on here is this recent study and what we wanted to talk to you about today for sure is that UVC lighting study that was done with the uh, Austin University. Can you give us a breakdown yeah, on that? Yeah, it was, it's, uh, it's really compelling, you know, when you think about it. And again, kudos to our, our R&D organization. And also, I think this speaks really to the legacy of Signifies technology. You know, UV, UVC is not new to, to Signify at all. It's a 35, 35 years we've been in the technology, about a 40-year-old technology. Um, Let's show them, Mike, what you got, Rick, Kevin. So uh, this is a 1987 Philips Lighting Disinfection by UV Radiation catalog. There you go. There you go. That's it. And 1987, it goes back to 67. I think this is like the third edition or something like that. There's a bunch of stuff in it. But you know what? You know what's interesting about this? There's a whole section on not circulated air, general air disinfection using Correct. UV lamps pointed up at the ceiling, 1987. 1987. Yep. And there's examples of the, um, of it, you know, where's it here? It's pictures of it being used in different applic- general applications like libraries and such, UVC lighting. Um, so when I saw this, I'm going to just be honest with you, Kevin. This is not news. The Signify releases, Boston, you knew it would kill COVID-19. We did. Like nobody <laughs> we had, wanted to prove it to the world. Yeah, yeah like everyone at Signify was like, this is going to kill COVID-19. For sure it is. For sure. <laughs> like we don't, okay, so get someone to put a stack. You want to test it? Test it, buddy. COVID-19 is not a super virus that's resistant to UVC light. You know, if the ozone layer goes away, if the ozone layer is gone and all life on earth is dead, COVID-19 is dead too. It's going to, UVC light kills COVID-19. Why, 
why did you guys take so long to come out with this? And why? Like, because to me, I was like, I was, we were, I saw this a couple months ago, and I was like, well, they already know the answer. Yeah, it's you know, it's interesting. It's a great question. It really is. And when you look at where UV lamps have been used in the last twenty years, it's been primarily in the water disinfection area. Sure. And this idea of using uv and air disinfection i mean it really fell by the wayside for many years and even when you look at there's you know it's been used some in typhoid infection and even when sars came out it you know it didn't really take off i think it's with COVID. it was just it was such a, a worldwide dominating concern and event that you know made us all think of step back and say my goodness um there are applications that we have never really pursued with our uv lamps that, that are a tremendous opportunity for this. Our, you know, our OEM business, even with lamps today, for all the OEMs that make products to disinfect, is really quite small comparatively speaking. Um, well, but it's the not opportunity yeah, it's is, just... is huge. The opportunity yeah. to use these in, in upper air and in, in um, air handling systems um, is tremendous. It's absolutely tremendous. And yeah, shame on us for uh, for not uh, you know the the entire world and maybe even some of our building codes not taking advantage of a technology that's been around for a long, long time. Section 3.1 is all about air disinfection. The whole thing. It's like four pages. It's all right there, isn't it? It's four yeah. pages. It even has a diagram of how the air goes through and goes up above the lights that are pointed at the ceiling. All this sort of stuff. It shows you how to do it. 1987. I even got- read, I think one of the articles even says it kills corona-type viruses uh, in an old IES standard somewhere along the way. Treatment yeah, sure. I mean, like, yeah, they, they, there's no, and you can see it, like, they have operating rooms, they have, uh, it's all in here. I mean, they, it can be done. Here's the issue I have right now. So we need leadership right now. The IES just sent out a press release that them and the UV Association are coming up with standards to, uh, to, to, of how to do this. The problem I see is the same problem that kind of occurred in LED is you got this such a huge pressure rush in the beginning. The only difference in this case is that UVC light can be very dangerous, Kevin. And, you know, if it's not done right, um, and there are a lot of people, like I get calls in my office every day for people asking me, can we put UVC lights in our office and kill all the bacteria and so we can go back to work? And I'm just like, oh my goodness. Please don't. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I'm serious. Like it, I, I, I sell replacement germicidal lamps. I don't design disinfection systems, lighting systems for, uh, for customers. And that's what people are seeking out. And I think this is, um, what do they call that? It's uh, some crazy momentum with this that's just grabbing at all straws. And people, order books are full with going, this stuff's going to go out to contractors with, you know, passive infrared sensors on it and stuff like that, which makes me very nervous. What's your position on it, Kevin? How are you guys going to attack this and lead, actually? Is my, my it, it's a tremendous question, and, and we have thought very seriously about it. And, you know, there's a couple of things is um, getting the training material out there. And we, there's no way we can train every installer out there, but we are going to start significant training programs and do it through through distribution um, and, and the requirement that if you're going to buy this product from us, that you have to be uh, certified and, you know, we work with a certified installer, follow our instructions. You know, this is how you do it, and it's the only way to do it. Uh, in addition to be able to offer some of the, the design services and even maintenance services to go along with that. Um, we want you to come to Signify because we're going to tell you how to do it right. Um, we're going to give you the instructions to do it right, and we can even connect you with folks, uh, certified folks to, to, that we have trained 
um, to be able to do that. Um, I, I do have concerns about, you know, folks, as you said, uh, recklessly going out there. I mean, UV, UVC is a great technology and it will do exactly what we want, but it, it needs to be used in the right application and implemented the right way. We're going to work hard to train um, the entire industry on that uh, as fast as we can. And we've got a lot of information coming out on that. Um, but we do feel like it's it's incumbent on us to make sure that we do that, do it the right way. I, I like it. So the majority of the calls I receive in my office um, for uh, UVC are from gyms and daycares. Okay. Now, when I'm reading the, the 1987 disinfection by UV radiation catalog, it talks about um, highly important environments, medical rooms, pl places where there's going to be procedures and professionals and high paid people and maintenance staff and, you know, in a hospital or an operating room, uh, you know, a water treatment facility, all these areas where you're going to have highly controlled, highly proceduralized operations that are going to be able to handle this. Uh, daycare that has 16 kids coming to it in a home. Uh, that's, that's alarm bells going off for me. Uh, you know, gyms where people are doing jujitsu. Like I had three calls from jujitsu mats because jujitsu mats are notoriously infected with everything. Okay. Cause you're rolling around sweating on these mats. Sure. Um, but like it, it, to me, it's just like, oh man, that's really scary that people might start throwing these UV lights up there without the same kind of protocols and, and procedures that a hospital would have, say for an operating room or something like that. How do we, how do we, like, how do we damn that or stop that from happening in the industry? Yeah, I would tell you that what, where we start, and this has happened for a long time, is, you know, we don't, we don't send our UV lamps just through typical distribution. I'm doing it through certified, approved distributors that are going to be cautious and, and, and deliver these to OEMs that know what they're doing and, and know how to do it, and then, and then you know, ensuring that uh, you're working with companies like Signify. So we, we, because we control the lamps, we control a lot of where this stuff goes, right? So we, we do have a lot of control. Um, and, uh, and, you know, in our, in our product designs and applications, um, we'll also be able to control where the luminaires go. And um, that's, I think that's why a lot of that responsibility falls on us, to be the expert in the marketplace um, and to ensure that this isn't just haphazardly happening out there. Um, I would be much more concerned if we didn't control such a large piece of the supply chain. There are other, you know, UV lamp manufacturers out there, um, and we need to watch them closely. But uh, but we are by far the largest, and certainly serve as um, you know the ones who can truly be the watchdogs around. It. Now, Mike kind of threw your study away, but you guys spent some time on it. So <laughs> give us a quick synapse of it. You, <laughs> what happened in the study? It's impressive. It really is. Um, you know, did this with Boston University, and we had a professor there, Andrew Griffiths, who decided to, to take this on. And to your point, I'm sure we all knew it was going to work, but we didn't know how well it was going to work. And so his application, um, testing this is in, in air um, and surface environments, in six seconds, 99% uh, of the virus causes COVID-19 um, was, was basically disabled um, and, uh, and, and disinfected. So we deactivate that in six seconds, 99%. In 30 seconds, it's log six, 99.99999% uh, deactivated. So it's basically gone, inert, uh, can't hurt anybody in 30 seconds. So that's, that's a strong statement. Um, that means you don't have to have these systems that are on for three and four hours at a time. and robots that are moving around, you know, an office facility to make it work. Um, it means that it is highly powerful and effective on the virus. So what is your, so you're saying in a, 
a room. I know the size of the room matters and all that, but a lot of what I've read is and heard about is you need to run it for 30 minute cycles. Are you saying depending on the room size, you can get it done in 30 seconds and move on to the next one? You potentially could, depends on the room and the configuration and how many lights you get it, you put in. I think what you're referring to probably is a lot of the open uh, air surface where you need to you need to pipe the air through every 30 seconds or you know every hour or whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, I think there's some applications here where this is going to uh, operate even better than we would have anticipated based on it. Do you think uh, mobile is the way to do it, or do you think fixed into a room? Or, or a combination. Uh, I, think, I honestly think fixed into a room is going to have a lot bigger application. When I think about office environment, people going back to work, um, and you know, and seeing some of the designs that we have now, and the fact that you can retrofit this upper air surface, it doesn't even have to be an HVAC system. Although I, I think that's also a, an interesting way to do it. Um, I can see people retrofitting this along their offices and saying, "Hey, they, we know this. We lock down this place for an hour every night at you know, in the middle of the night." And we turn these things on. There's no way anybody can be in that facility because we also have all of our other products that are in there, our, our Interact Office products that say we know where everybody is and where they're not. And we lock that thing down, turn it on for an hour, disinfect, you know, 95% of all the surfaces in there. And, um, you know, you, you've got a, a, a clean facility the next morning that you can be very confident in. Yeah, I think that mobile thing is, is tough. I've heard a lot about it, but to me, that's like somebody's full time job now is moving that thing around and moving keeping that track thing of around, it. Or yeah. a robot to, yeah. make all, to, to hit all the different locations every night. Yeah. Um, I don't think don't think that's the, the large application. That'd be specialty application. A lot of those robotic things today. That's not really. I don't think that's uh, that's significant. So what what makes the Signify technology different than other UVC lighting that's out there? Uh, we have it, and we can manufacture the heck out of it. So um, we are continuing to focus on. So we have it. We have it. We have it available. And, and, and um, there, there's the glass is what makes makes the product special. Um, but somebody else can make it if they want to. But you've got to know the recipe. You've got. I mean, you've got a skill in this thing uh, to really know, yep. know how to manufacture it so that it works. But there are other technologies out there. R and D team is going after it now. There is an LED uh, version of UV. There are other. Um, uh, UV, so this is a 254 nanometer solution. Uh, there's a 222, which is, you know, now you're getting much closer to the visible light spectrum. And maybe you, you can actually be in the room when it's on. I'm not ready to say that, but it's but it's potential. But we're doing a lot of other research around that uh, to see how far we can take this. And I think to the point we made in the very beginning is, is now this idea that we need to disinfect the areas that we're in every day is front of mind. Um, it probably should have been for a long, long time, quite honestly. Now it's in front of everybody's mind. We know we need to do it. I expect one day this is going to get into the building codes going forward. So we're going to continue to focus on technologies that, that do this in the proper way. And, and I think we'll get better and better and better as we go. The idea of disinfecting yeah. forced air is such a no-brainer. I mean, the, like in the HVAC systems, I mean, the fact that they, they don't have them in some large HVAC systems in malls and that is is really a tragedy to think about it for all you know for a long time. But, but I mean, think about even, the mold. Think about the mold issues we've sure. all dealt with and heard about for sure. years and years and years. Sure. Easily resolved with this. Yeah. So there, there there's a lot of applications here. Um, I see the 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 fastest money, and I don't even sell this marketplace, but it's got to be planes, trains, hotels, no? 
transportation. So yeah, if our if hopefully the retail hospitality world you know, can recover fast enough to make some of these investments, because you'd want to stay at the hotel um, that had the UV disinfection system before you did at the other one. But I think there's a there's a real investment to be made there. I do think office if people go back to work will be another one that's significant. Airports, um, another another really good opportunity if you can do it in such a way that you can actually clear an area out uh, while you're doing the disinfecting. Do you think it'll ever be commonplace to be uh, implemented in your general lighting system? Like the light that's over my head will also have the UV capability to it, UVC killing? I would be very surprised if, um, now it won't be the technology we're talking about today, if we didn't right. at some point get to, get to that, though, where we can combine the technologies together. You know, there are germicidal um, solutions today uh, that exist. They don't work on, on viruses, but they work on some of the antibacterial things that, that operate like that today. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, you know, the R&D team's amazing here, and if it's uh, if there's a great new technology, they're going to be the ones to to discover it and implement it, and they're working on it as we speak. What do you think for the if you have a, a message coming out of this crisis for the industry? What does Kevin Poik want to say to the industry right now? Uh, it, it, for me, it is time to turn the page. Uh, get back to growth and and learn how to live our lives with what's in front of us. There will be a vaccine at some point. Um, and maybe maybe life will change. But in the meantime, we've got to figure out how to operate in this environment and, and get back to our lives. Um, you know, I, I think in some cases we've seen folks run back quickly and not use masks and not socially distance. And it's caused problems. And we've seen a spike on that in, in the town I'm in right now in Greenville, South Carolina, a significant spike because um, people aren't doing what they need to do. But I think we have proven that if you do what you need to do, you can still operate uh, business and government and offices and and construction uh, like you need to and we need to get back to that in a hurry um so so yeah let's let's open let's do it the right way um let's follow the rules of social distancing and wearing masks and taking care of ourselves and our and our brethren and protect them but let, let's get on with life i can't can't live behind this desk uh, for you know the next six months kevin poik Thanks for being yes, a guest sir. on the Get a Get Up on the Lighting podcast. <laughs> hey, thanks so much, guys. I really, I really appreciate it. Really enjoyed it. Oh, uh, our Thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Greg. Take care. National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors is where it all started with Signify and used to be Phillips. And I pulled out the old magazine that I'm sure appeared at conventions back in the 80s from Phillips when they were talking about disinfection by irradiation and UVC light. Kevin Point came on, laid it down, sent the message out to the industry. The leadership series for SARS-CoV-2 is over, Greg. That's right. True leader in the industry, Signify, comes in, tells us to turn the page, tells us that they knew the UVC thing was going to work. I love that. You know, you called it out and he goes, yeah, yeah, we knew it. And now it's all ready to go. Yeah, so this, was, this, was, this, go. this was, this was, I mean, sure, it's exciting that it, they timed it or whatever. And it's a third party. It's a university. Obviously, they got to do that because they're a corporation. They need some, they need, they need that. But like that didn't surprise anybody at, at Signify for sure. That knows what's going on. So. Um, SARS-CoV-2 is not, or COVID-19, whatever you want to call it, is not a 
is not a super virus that can survive UVC light. So we've opened up a new revenue stream, folks. The leadership series is over. Get out there, get selling, get back after it, folks. Why? Because Kevin Poit from Signify said so. And Michael and Greg from the Greta Gripon Lightning Podcast. So thank you for enjoying our leadership series. This is the last one.